In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever into the ages of all ages, Amen. We're starting this new series called Above Reproach, um, that God, in His grace, the grace which He holds for us, He holds us above reproach. How many of you here are familiar with that expression? You've heard that expression said of someone else, maybe of you even, that so-and-so is above reproach. Just a quick show of hands. Yeah, you know what? Not too many people put up their hands, just only a few people. To be honest with you, the first time I heard that term, although I've grown up my whole life um, in Canada and lived in an, you know, an Anglophone, mostly Anglophone community, um, I wasn't really familiar with that term. The word reproach isn't really a word that's in our common vernacular. It's not a word that's really in our common that we say all the time. And so I thought it would be good to, today to just kind of define the terms. So I heard this, this, um, this phrase the first time at work from one of my colleagues who was um, annoyed and a bit jealous of one of our other colleagues um, that seemed to be um, um, uh, there seemed to be a prejudice in, in favor of this person due to their gender, due to their race, due to their um, physical appearance, etc., etc. It doesn't matter what it was due to. One of my colleagues le leans over to me after we all got like torn to shreds for something. Some, you know, our, our boss was you know, fumingly upset about something, and he killed all but one of us. <laughs> You know, all of us got destroyed but one, you know, the golden child, right, who was above reproach, right, uh, you know, who could do no wrong, you know, this person could do no wrong, this person was above reproach, right, and to be honest with you, I wasn't so familiar with, with that phrase, and um, God, I guess, in his love for me, made me start seeing the word reproach on every page of scripture. And I felt like, okay, maybe this isn't a common expression um, in day-to-day -day life, seeing what, that I only encountered it in my late 20s. Um, but it seems to be something very common in scripture. Um, and then I stumbled upon this. And this is what I'm going to be sharing with you for the next four weeks, including today. St. Paul in Colossians 1 Verses 21 to 23 says this, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have been reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Wow. Let's read that again together. Let's read that again together, what St. Paul is saying. He's saying, you once who were alienated in your mind by wicked works, now have been reconciled. In a different place, he says, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Um, in the institution narrative, they've packed away the, uh, the chalice as they ought to have, right? Imagine this to be the, the top of the chalice, okay? So... Um, uh, during the liturgy and the institution narrative, when it says, likewise, you know, um, uh, you, you know, the wine, the, the cup, and he blessed it, and he said, th gave thanks, and he blessed it, and he sanctified it, right? And then he says, he tasted, and the priest 
pulls it close close to him, right? And then he says, right? And, the, and then he does the sign of the cross, but he usually he would do the sign of the cross from the east to the west, but he does it this time from the west to the east. Why? Because in a, in, in a different place, St. Paul says, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so while he's holding the chalice like this, he goes and he blesses, the priest blesses from the west to the east. From the west to the east, because you have been, you who are once alienated, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All of our rites and rituals are just an expression of our faith. It's like we, we it's like we, 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 the words and the music isn't enough, so we're using actions to also, um, to also, um, you know, express this truth, which is so. So amazing, right? You who were once alienated, have, is that also a term you've ever heard used? So I was, I was crossing into the US border. I have the funniest stories trying to cross into the US border. I've been a, a, almost arrested a, a half a dozen times trying to enter the US, right? And um, so I'm at the US border once and they called me an illegal alien. You know, I was like, I'm a, you're an illegal alien and you enter the United States of America by privilege. I was like, thank you. You can keep your privilege to yourself. You know, we have universal health care here in alien land. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You, you who were once alienated. You were once alien. We were aliens. Why? Because of the the wicked, the wickedness of our works and of our minds is what Saint Paul is saying. But we have been reconciled. We have been reconciled into the body of His flesh through what? Through what? His death. Right? Why to present you holy, blameless, above reproach in His sight? You are that golden child. When the rest of us are getting our heads chopped off at work, except for the one, that's you. You are the child of grace. You are the one who is above reproach. You are the one who can do no wrong. You are the special, the chosen, the desired, the loved. You. Not because of you, not because of how you know great you are, or amazing you are, or beautiful you are, not because of your your gender or your physical appearance or your innate ability. Or no, no. Why? Why? Because of his death. Because of his death. Why his death? Why his death? I'll tell you why. His death. Because what happened? To my reproach. Where did my reproach go? I had a reproach. Reproach is like shame. Reproach is like sadness. Reproach is a, a, a tarnish on your record. Re reproach is like the merit points on your driver's license, you know, you know, accidents on your driver's abstract, you know, black mark against you. Reproach. I have reproach. Where did it go? Where did it go? How did I go from being reproached to being without reproach? Where did it go? What black hole did it get, you know? What, what, what vortex did it get sucked into? Where did it go? Christ and his death. And so we're going to explore all of that. 
We're going to explore all of that very briefly today, and we're going to unpack it all in these coming days, right? It says, the reproach, our reproaches were laid upon him in Isaiah. Let me find it for you. Do not fear, Isaiah 54, 4, do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, nor will you be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and do not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. It's gone. In the Psalms, in Psalm 69, verse 9, he says, Because of the zeal of your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those which reproached you have fallen on me, Christ says. He took our reproaches, right? Verse 19, in the same psalm, he says, You know my reproach, my shame, my dishonor. These are the words of Christ, he's saying to the Father. He took this shame, this disgrace, this dishonor, he took it upon himself. And he gave us to be without reproach, above reproach. I think the word reproach is still kind of weird, right? It's they're not going to be going to work tomorrow and be like, oh, blah, 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 reproach, blah, blah, right? It's not like it's not going to be, right? So I think it's still kind of a bit out there, right? And, you know, you don't know, I don't know how good I've got it if I don't know what it is that I've been saved from. So let's look at a few examples of this word reproach in, in Scripture. If you look at Genesis 30, verse 23, Right? You have Rachel here who is exclaiming with joy and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. When she bore Joseph, she said, God has taken away my reproach. Right? Uh, sorry, this is Leah. When Leah conceived and she had a son, right? Verse 23, no, jo Joseph, sorry, Joseph, when Rachel conceived, because Rachel was barren, and she bore a, a son, and she, she called him Joseph, because he has taken away my reproach. The reproach of childlessness, of childlessness, of seeing, I hear this all the time from people who wish to have children. They see all, all kinds of other people that have young children. They find it painful. They love their friends and they love their friends' children, but they find it painful to see other people's children that they don't, right? They feel ashamed. They feel like, why me? They feel like, how come, right? Re reproach, there's a sadness in it. The next one is extremely painful. Go to Second Samuel 13, 13. This is a weird story. David had like 70 sons, okay? He married a whole bunch of women. And he had like 70 sons. Okay, his eldest son from one wife was um, extremely attracted to w w his stepsister, like one of David's daughters from another wife, right? And he was like lovesick. His name is Amnon. It's the story of Amnon and Tamar, right? Anyways... He, he pretends to be sick, and his friends send word to Tamar, oh, like, your brother is sick, you should go take care of him. So she goes to take care of him, and he's not really sick, 
right? And then he tries to have like forced intercourse with her, basically to rape her, right? And look at her response. She says, she says, in this time it would have been norm, like it would have been not abnormal to marry your stepsister from another mother, go figure, but in any event, right? She's telling him, don't do this. This is very shameful. This is very shameful. She's trying to convince him out of it, right? And she says, and, and whither shall he, and where will I cause my shame to go? As for you, you should, you will be like one of the fools of Israel. Now therefore, I pray you speak unto the king, for he would not withhold you from me, right? Not withhold you, me from you, right? But she says, where will I cause my shame to go? Like, there's another story of, of also of, of rape in the Old Testament. In Genesis 34, Jacob had children, right? He had 12 sons. Well, he had, he had a daughter, at least one. Her name was Dina, right? And Dina would go with, with her brothers to this town called Shechem. And, in, and the men of Shechem, you know, like, you know, one of them like fell in love with her and this and that, right? And he slept with her, right? without, you know, outside of marriage, right? And so the Dina's brothers were furious. So they put together this ploy. They put together this ploy, right? Where they told them, they told, they told them, okay, well, now you have to mar marry her. Then they told him, they told him, but you can't marry her, we're all circumcised. So if you want to marry her, you got to be circumcised too. You and all your friends, right? So they got circumcised and while they were still kind of ailing from their circumcision right they went levi and simeon and they slaughtered them all they went and they slaughtered them all they killed all of them to take revenge on what they had done to their sister this is in the history this is in the history of judaism Imagine Tamar knows this. She knows that, hey, if somebody does something to me as a sister, my big brothers will go out there and they'll get them. What about when it's your big brother that is the aggressor? Shame. Where will I cause my shame to go? Who am I going to appeal to? Like, I would have appealed to my big brother, but you are the eldest brother. Who am I going to appeal to? Where am I going to take... My shame, my reproach. We also pray the same prayer. When we feel this burden of shame, of reproach, we go before God and we say, where will I take my shame, my reproach? I would have taken it to so-and-so, but that's the person, that's the person who is shaming me. Right? Jesus says, bring it. Bring it to me. The shame, the reproach of, of abuse, of, 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 of bad, badness in the family. We've all got it. Every family's got it. Nobody's immune to it. Not necessarily sexual abuse or physical abuse, but there's, all, you know, that shame. Where can we take it? Where are we? To Christ. There's nowhere else. There's no one else we can appeal to. In Ruth, in the book of Ruth, Ruth 2.15 Boaz is saying to the workers, he's saying to the workers, when this woman comes, he points her out to them. He says, that woman over there, you see? When she comes after you, after you're gleaning, you're um, harvesting, let her come, like leave extra behind. Let her come and have some. 
And when she arose to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. She, she's supposed to take, she's supposed to take from the harvest that has, has the stuff that's fallen from the harvesters. She says, you know what? If she cherry picks a little bit from what you've harvested, like suppose they're apple picking, right? Some apples will fall out of the basket, you know, they, they fill the, the, the bushels, right? Some apples will fall out. Some will be too high for them to grab. Those were for the poor. It was a commandment, like when you harvest, if stuff falls from you, leave it. Like, let it go. Like, um, I don't know, this would be like I'm trying to make a modern day parable out of this. If you go to the ATM and you pull out, you know, you know, $100 and you happen to drop a five, leave it there. Leave it there. Someone might need it more than you. Right? That was the idea. It was a commandment in scripture about being merciful to the poor, right? But Boaz tells them, if she takes from the sheaves, if she takes from the baskets of the apples, not from what fell to the ground, but if she takes, let her, don't, don't reproach her. The shame, the reproach of poverty, of poverty. How many people have I invited to church and their answer was, I can't come to church. Everybody goes to church. They're thinking of like uh, 40 years ago. Nobody does this anymore, right? Everybody goes to church in their Sunday best, right? That's what your good clothes are called, your Sunday best, right? I don't think I've seen anybody in their Sunday best for years. But in any event, right, you know, the shame of poverty. I can't show my face in public because I'm, I'm poor. The shame of, of poverty. This one's really, this one's really painful. And we've all experienced this to some degree. Go to 1 Samuel 17, 26. David, when, he's, when he goes to, to, to the battlefield to bring supplies to his brothers, and he hears Goliath shaming the, 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 the army of Israel, saying, if there was a man amongst you, he would come and fight me. If there is one man amongst you, you're all a bunch of boys, you know, and he's making fun of them, and so on. And he curses, he curses their God, right? The, the God of Israel. And David goes and he spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? The sneer of defeat, the reproach of defeat. You ever tried really, really hard at something and you didn't get it? All of us have. The reproach of defeat. Sometimes your enemies are gracious, you know, they have good sportsmanship. They shake your hand and, you know, you know, it's good, you know, it's a good game, it was, you know. But sometimes they spit in your face. They spit in your face in your defeat. Reproach, shame. Nehemiah is experiencing the same thing when he when he's he lives in the citadel, he's the servant of the of of the of of, of the of the emperor. Um, and he, he receives word that 
Jerusalem is destroyed. The walls are broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. The gates were ironclad on the outside. The, the fact that they were burned with fire means they were burned from where? The inside. That means Jerusalem had been invaded and the gates had been burned down. The walls are broken. He's ashamed. He's ashamed. He's ashamed that the city of God is in the dust. He's ashamed that the children of God are in the dust. Shame, reproach. Jesus bears all this shame for us that we might be without, that we might be without reproach. We'll take one, one more, one more, because I probably have depressed you all by now, or almost. If I haven't, this one will help. <laughs> Second Kings 19. I have many examples of this, but this is, this is the reproach of the godless. This is the thoughts that come to us. Maybe people say these things to us. The attack on, on the very root of our faith. God himself. If there was a God, you wouldn't be suffering like this. If there was a good God out there, you wouldn't be in pain like this. If you're God, or, or you have a God, but he's powerless. He's powerless. He can do nothing. This is an attack on God himself. In Second Kings, the army of Assyria had come to attack Jerusalem, and they laid siege to it. And the Rabshakeh, the general, the chief general of the attacking army, would every day go and walk on the walls. The walls were like, like five feet wide, you know, so you could walk on the walls. They put up ladders from outside. And he would walk on the walls, and he would demoralize the people in Hebrew. And they would tell him, speak, speak to us. We speak Aramaic. The, 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 the viziers and so on, the people, the governors would tell him, we speak Aramaic. Speak to us in Aramaic. He'd say, no, no, no. You want me to speak in the language that only we understand so these poor people who are starving to death don't hear? No, no, no. I'm going to speak to them as well. Right? And he would humiliate them and demoralize them. And they're, 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 he's laid siege. Right? Cut off food, cut off water. It got to the point, literally, where they actually started to cannibalize. They actually started to eat each other. So another part of the story, but to tell you how dire the situation was. How dire the situation of my soul can be. And the attack, the attack from outside, the ceaseless attack of horrible thoughts. The ceaseless attack of shaming, reproaching, horrible thoughts. Right? It may be that the Lord our God will hear the... Um, right? And here you see, here again, the word reproach. Right? That the Rabshakeh, the, the, the general, was there reproaching the people of, of, of God, reproaching the living God. And they're begging God, and they, they appeal to God as the living God, that he would rebuke, that he would rebuke him that he would rebuke him. Shame. Shame. When I'm still defeated, 
And I, I have faith. I have faith that God is going to get me out of this pit. But I'm still in the pit. And these, these, these horrible thoughts are coming on me. They reproach me. But it doesn't, the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. Right? Go to Joshua 5, 9. In Joshua 5, Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, This day, the Lord, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. The reproach of what? Of slavery from you. Therefore, the name of the place is, shall be called Gilgal this day. Gilgal means to roll away. Even the word sounds like it's rolling. Gilgal. Gilgal. It sounds like it's rolling. And they kept the place of that, that place named Gilgal until, until forever. Why? Because where was Gilgal? Gilgal was just on the west side of the Jordan. In front of what? In front of Jericho. Gilgal, Gilgal was the, the hill from which they could see the victory over Jericho. And God says to Joshua, no more shame. This is the place where I have taken away your reproach. Generations, generations you were slaves in Egypt. Forty years you were homeless in the desert. Another generation passed. But no more, no more shame, no more reproach. From now on, you're in the promised land. From now on, you're in the promised land. From now on, victory. And this is the place that I have taken away your shame, the shame of Egypt. And God has a Gilgal for you. God has a hill for you. He has a hill for you from which you can see the victory. From which you can see the victory. And that hill exists also on the other side of a river. You know, there's a river that's about, there's a river, right, that's about 39 books into the Bible. There's a river that, that divides the land of aimless wandering in the desert from the promised land. About, about, you know, 39 books into the Bible, right? Just about here, just about here. Let me find it for you. There's a river. It's right here. Right here, there's a page. There's a page that doesn't have a single word of scripture on it, except it's the name of a river. It's called the gospel. It's called the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel. There's a hill. There's a Gilgal in the New Testament. There's a Gilgal in your life and a Gilgal in mine. You know what that hill is called? It's called Calvary. It's called Golgotha. It's called, called the place where death died and life reigns forevermore. It's called the hill of hope. It's called the place where there is no more shame, no more pain, no more reproach. It's the promise, it's the promise of life forevermore. It's the place where Christ says from Psalm 69 that we read a little earlier, and the reproaches of those who would reproach you have fallen on me. 
when, when, the, when the wicked thoughts come to shame you in whichever one of these areas that I named, taking little stories from the Old Testament, or whatever your story is, no more, no more those, those words are addressed to you. Now there is a Christ who is coming and saying, the reproaches of those who which would have reproached you have fallen on me. Um, George, why don't you come here for a second? Right? George is bigger than me, right? So George will be the Jesus in this exam. Yeah, just come, you can just come right up here, right? You know, right? And so all the badness is coming from me this way, and George is protecting me from it, you know? Jesus, Jesus is overshadowing. Thank you very much. A big hand of applause for George. It's never easy being on stage. Trust me, I know, right? Um... Jesus is the one who is bring, bringing his hands, his shoulders over you. I have covered you with my wings. Praise Psalm 90. In the shadow of the, of the Almighty. In the shadow of the Almighty. Take refuge in him. Take refuge in him. I need to, I need to go. I need to enter into him. And all the reproaches of those who which would have reproached me have fallen on him, have fallen on him. And then, and then the psalmist in the voice of Christ says, you know my reproach, my shame, my dishonor. Like, the, the, Christ has taken it from me and he knows it now. He knows my shame, he knows my dishonor, right? And he has, he has taken it from me. Another example, but we're going to take this example in depth later, so I'm just going to, but I can't resist not to say it. Luke one twenty-five. Luke one twenty-five. Let's take one from the New Testament. St. Mary in her prayer, in her Magnificat, says, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Orphan girl, homeless she used to live in the temple, but she's, you know, become a woman now, so she can't live in the temple anymore. So they put her out. They don't know what to do with her. They married her to an 80-year-old guy. How many 12, 13-year-old girls want to be married to an 80-year-old, right? You know? She was nobody. She was nothing, a nobody from, Naz like from Nazareth, which is the armpit of nowhere, right? But God saw her. But God saw her. But God didn't just see her, he chose her. He, he takes the lowly and he exalts them. High up, above reproach. We'll go back to our first verse again, Colossians 1. And you who once were alienated in your mind by wicked works. Our problem, our problem, our problem, folks, is right here. My biggest problem is right here between my two ears. It's my mind that is con constantly under assault. It's not the, the bad things other people say to me. 
It's the, the ringing in my ears, right? The ringing in my ears of things which are not godly, which are against God. And you once were alienated and enemies in your mind, which then leads to wicked works. But that's done. That's old. That's finished. That's gone. But now you have been reconciled in the body of his flesh. He died so that we, he could share with us in our experience of life and death. It's part of our experience. Why? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue, what do we have to do? In faith, grounded, steadfast, and the hope of the gospel. And the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to you to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So all we have to do is continue to believe and to have hope and to hold on to him who takes all of our reproaches upon him because of his great love for us that he came to share with us in our experience. And then he, he holds us above reproach in his sight, holy and blameless always. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.